0: You're about to listen to the Campfire podcast. You can also see Campfire live and in person at the Annoyance Theater on Thursdays in October at 9.30 p.m. Check out theannoyance.com for details. It's midnight in the woods. Darkness surrounds us. None of us are sure exactly what is out there. Luckily, you've made it here. You've made it to the campfire. In the second story, Nick tells us about a time when he moved into a cheap party house and discovers firsthand exactly why the rent is so low. And in the first story, Shelby shares with us about the Shadow Man. dreams have
1: always been different for me, more significant, more real. My name is Shelby Weaver. I'm an actor and comedian in Chicago. And as a little girl, I grew up in a small Mississippi town called Steens. We were an interesting family, a coven of Southern women with sensitivities to the spirit world. Now, of course, we weren't actually a coven, but there's no other word to describe the group understanding between one another that we saw things, heard things, felt things that most other people didn't. Starting from a young age, I had weird dreams. I did dream normally most of the time, but every now and then one would slip in that felt different. I would tell my mom about these experiences, and she would assure me that this kind of thing isn't to be feared, that not everything metaphysical is inherently evil. As I got older, the dreams became stronger, more frequent. I would dream about things, and then they would happen. I would dream about people, people I knew, and then they would reach out to me, often just to say that they suddenly started thinking about me and wanted to know how I was doing then, when I got older, I started to dream about other people. These people weren't people I'd ever met before, they were strangers, yet the way they came to me while I was sleeping felt incredibly intimate, incredibly vulnerable, incredibly real. They would show me things, usually a memory, sometimes a regret, sometimes how they died, and I never really thought about these dreams as being anything different than my other weird ones. That was until I was 22, and I was visited by someone I would never forget. I was a senior in college, doing what seniors in theater college do, i.e. skipping classes, taking bullshit electives, and focusing on surviving three rehearsals a day. I went to bed one night, and I could feel someone in my room. The energy felt innocent, a little scared, but nothing to fear. I had experienced entities coming into my space before, and had frankly gotten used to it. So I went to sleep. While I was asleep, he came to me. A little boy, about seven, nine years old. He had light brown hair and the biggest blue eyes I'd ever seen. In this dream, he introduced me to his family. He had two siblings, an older sister and an older brother, and a single mom. His brother was the oldest, but I could tell that the sister was the real protector, keeping the family together every day. His brother was talented at school, good at sports, appeared to distance himself from problems, but deep down felt them. Their mom was a vision. A tall, slender woman who worked two jobs and still managed to be there every night for dinner. I could tell she was strong, but there was one weakness. She had a long history of men coming in and out of her life. I felt as if she just craved stability. Support. To be someone other than everyone for everybody else. The kind of thing we all want. The boys showed me their daily routine. Breakfast, school, dinner. I could feel the love in their family. Their bond was deep, because it had to be. They were the only people they knew that they could depend on. But at the end of the dream, I saw a sudden change in the boys' behavior. And then I saw him, the shadow man. He was tall, had no defined features. I couldn't see a face at all. Just a large, foreboding, void-like shadow of a man. I woke up from this dream feeling exhausted. I mean, I, I literally felt like some of my life force had been sucked out of me. And as I came out of that fog, I noticed something in the space that had never happened before. He was still there. I could feel him. I call these dreams visitations because that's pretty much all they are a visit and after my visitations the spirit always leaves they come they share what they need to share and then they bounce never ever had one stuck around until now i spent the day going to classes most of them and sitting through rehearsals with the knowledge that next to me always there was someone nobody else could see It's a very isolating feeling. That night, I honestly couldn't wait to fall asleep. I needed to know more. I needed him to show me what he was here for. And boy, did he. The next dream was a direct progression from the previous one. This one, however, was darker in tone. The boy showed me the shadow man and how he behaved when no one was watching. He showed me him walking around the property, looking in the windows, being eerily invested in the boy and what he was doing. I could tell that the boy never told anyone about this, and that was part of the reason he was here. Something bad had happened, and although I didn't know what at the time, he would soon show me. Next, we were in the woods. The family was going on a hike together. It was a crisp fall day, The leaves had just started to change, and I remember hearing the crunch of the leaves under the boy's feet as he walked. On this hike, it was introduced that this shadow man was actually romantically involved with the boy's mother. He had infiltrated the family, gotten closer. A little into the hike, the boy went off on his own, and in doing that, got lost the end of the dream was him looking around, calling for his mother, calling for anyone. But just as soon as the fear of being lost set in, a more sinister fear entered. He could feel the shadow man lurking. He was there. He was watching. And I could feel it too. He stood in the small opening, looking around him in panic. I heard the leaves crunching, something closing in. He looked at me, and it was over. I woke up concerned and confused. I felt anxious and sick, but most importantly, I could feel him. He was still there, still with me, and at times I actually felt as if he was comforting me. The day ends, the night comes. This time, I was scared to go to sleep. I didn't know what I was going to see, or if I was even prepared to do so. But I couldn't abandon him. He came to me for a reason, and I had to stick this out till the end. The final dream, I'm brought to this dark place. A place where light doesn't even exist. I could hear the sound of water dripping all around me. The negative energy in this space was palpable. I knew the shadow man was here and that the boy was in danger. In the darkness, I could feel him shaking. Then it dawned on me. Maybe we weren't in the woods anymore. Maybe we weren't in this world anymore. Suddenly, I sensed that the boy was already gone this wasn't a memory it was an expression a physical manifestation of what being gone felt like to him and then suddenly I was myself I was in my college apartment in my room but I wasn't awake I was still dreaming I felt a force pull me out of my apartment and into the street It was the dead of night but i just felt compelled to keep walking until i stopped at a sewer drain boom another shift i'm still outside but farther from the street there are dozens of ambulances and cop cars and fire trucks the lights were blinding and the energy was chaotic and loud and i saw the paramedics next to the storm drain then I saw something that would haunt me to this day. They pulled a body from the drain. It was him. He was dead. My heart shattered into a million pieces. I will never forget that image. His body had decayed. He was nearly unrecognizable. It looked real. It felt real. It was real. They pulled him onto a gurney with the body bag under it. Time slowed then. The sounds of the ambulances softened, the lights dimmed, and then he sat up. He sat up, looked at me with those big blue eyes, and opened his mouth to speak but there was no sound. He realized this and tried to speak louder and more urgently, clearly trying to tell me what he's wanted to all along. He's screaming, I'm screaming, yelling at everyone around to be quiet. I can't hear him, please, please, I need to hear him. And then the dream ended, but it did not stop there. I was startled awake by the feeling of water dripping onto my face. I touched my face, and it was dry. I looked around, there was nothing, no leak in the ceiling, nothing, and as I'm trying to explain this, I could still feel the water dripping down my face. I'm sitting up, the lights are on, and still the water is dripping down my cheeks. I ran to the mirror to inspect my face and see nothing, completely dry. As I'm looking in the mirror at my normal face, feeling ethereal drops of water fall down my cheeks, I start to panic, terrified at what is happening, completely overwhelmed by this sensation. And then I sense him behind me. I turn around heart rate slows, and the water stops. I sit with him, silent at first, and then I say, thank you. Thank you for seeing me as a safe space. I want to help you, but I don't know if I have the capabilities to do so. Although I had spiritual experiences my entire life, this was the first time anything of this scale had happened, and I felt unprepared, unequipped. I said, stay as long as you like, you will always be safe here, but there's nothing I can do, nobody I can talk to about this, I'm not the person that you need, and I'm so sorry." him sitting with me. I felt his pain and his frustration. And then he left. When I felt him leave, that was actually the hardest part. I had become attached to him and him to me. I felt as if I'd failed him. To this day, I have visitations. I've come to accept that I'm a safe space for people who have passed, to be heard, to be seen. It's often so easy to view paranormal activity through the small lens of negative spirits, which certainly exist. But in my experience, they're usually just people. People who are scared, people who are lonely, people craving connection. I'm grateful to have this sensitivity. It's so easy to be terrified of the dead. But for me, there's nothing that makes me feel more
0: alive.
2: Okay, so around spring 2005 in Jacksonville, Alabama, my brother and I were in college together, and we were hanging out in the front yard of this huge house. We had just moved into it. It was a four-bedroom house, two floors, just a monstrosity compared to the tiny apartments we had lived in before. And it was the two of us, our girlfriends, and two other friends. So six people in a house, basically the start of an episode of The Real World and it was just like that, it was wild. The rent was super cheap, like even cheap for a small town Alabama rent, just $1,000 a month, and the six of us were splitting it. So we had extra money for parties. This place became like the off-campus party house. Me and my brother, we were in a band and we'd play shows at the house. Uh, if we played at another bar, we had the after party there. We just had some crazy times. But this particular night was just a couple of weeks into living there. And it was just me and him talking and tossing a football around under the porch lights. And all of a sudden we see this car pulling up our driveway just kind of creeping up really slowly. So we weren't sure who it was. We thought maybe someone else had invited some friends over because the car was just sitting there, you know. So we walked down the driveway to meet the car, you know, check it out and tell them if they're at the right place, see who it was. We get to the car and it was three or four people and the driver rolls down the window and says, I'm so sorry, we thought this house was still abandoned. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Um, we just moved in a few weeks ago. Was it abandoned for a while or something? And she says, oh, well, this house is supposed to be haunted. Not sure if you knew that. And I was like, uh, no, I was not aware of this fact. The driver of the car proceeded to tell me that supposedly a family had lived there and the dad had went crazy, had killed himself and his wife. Super grisly, sad stuff. All of a sudden the cheap rent was making so much more sense, you know, cause when I went to sign the lease and get the keys from the landlord, I was thanking him for the deal. I was like, you're giving me such a great deal. And he even said, no, you're doing me a favor. So in that moment, everything just kind of clicked. But part of me was actually pretty excited. The weirdest part about all this is that me and my friends had taken up ghost hunting as a hobby. All of the band would go. So it was like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something like, Scooby-Doo, but the mystery van was a Ford Windstar. I had an EMF detector, voice recorders, cameras, the whole kit. It was a fun way for us all to hang out, but it was also to push ourselves to face our fears. But to me personally, it was a little bit more than just a hobby. As a kid, I was obsessed with the Ghostbusters. I read every book about every ghost story that I could get my hands on. I wasn't the most social child in the world. I kind of had trouble fitting in, but the unknown was just so fascinating to me, and I could kind of immerse myself in it. And i had even had some weird paranormal experiences as a kid, which kind of fueled my desire to learn more about it. I had spent a lot of my teenage years in a Southern Baptist church, you know, lots of guilt. And once I got to college, I kind of had a crisis of faith in what I truly believed in. The church's politics and their beliefs never really aligned with mine. And as the years went on, it just became more toxic. After I quit going, I went through this existential crisis, like what actually is spirituality? What happens after we die? That's when I bought the EMF detector. You know, I decided I was going to find out for myself. I was imagining myself as some explorer that I might be the person to crack the code, to settle everything once and for all, really just to settle my own anxious mind. So imagine my surprise when I find out that I moved into a haunted house accidentally. And then there's this strange moral quandary that happens when you find out that your house is haunted. For the briefest moment, me and my brother could not decide whether to tell everyone else in the house or not. You know, we had just moved in. We didn't want to get everyone worked up and panicked. And once you tell someone that their house is haunted, mentally, that's a lot. Every little creak, every noise, every shadow takes on a life of its own. There's even a term in ghost hunting called matrixing, which is basically pareidolia, a phenomenon where our brain tends to see faces where there aren't any. We're wired to see faces because it's just evolution. It's always been basic survival. We have to recognize friends, pick up social cues, watch out for predators. It's always kept us alive, but in modern times, we don't need it as much. And it just causes unwanted anxiety. I mean, we just got in there. Did we really want our brand new roommates freaking out? But we could not hold it in, (laughs) you know, better to just let everyone know. And how are we going to keep that a secret anyway? So we pretty much told everybody immediately for months, nothing really happened. Even when something did happen, it was fairly easy to dismiss it. There were people in the house at all times. Someone was always coming and going, never a dull moment. Even if the ghosts wanted to make their presence known, they'd have to compete with six other people and all their friends, band practices, etc. We just joked that we had a very quiet seventh roommate. So much was going on in our lives that we weren't even really ghost hunting anymore and even if I wanted to try to ghost hunt my own house, there wasn't ever a real opportunity to do it. There were two rooms that just had a very uneasy vibe, a sitting room, Uh, and this back storage room on the top floor and I just pretty much stayed out of those. I tried to do some research to find out more about what exactly happened, but I never could find anything out. The landlord even brushed it off when I asked about it, like, I haven't heard anything like that. And honestly, was he going to tell me I was paying him rent? I wasn't sure I even wanted to know, you know? I didn't want to do a hunt and find something in the house that I lived in and then have to about that all the time. So we just really kind of forgot about it. We were all so busy. We were young. We were partying. The whole house is haunted thing just kind of faded into the background of everyday life. Until one night. I drove home from working at Sears. As I pulled into the driveway, I noticed most of the lights were off. You know, there were no cars in the driveway whatsoever. I think two or three of my roommates were out of town, I knew my girlfriend was still at work, and I knew another friend was also still at work. So, almost five months into our lease, this was literally the first time I was going to be in this house alone. I get out of my car, I walk through the sunroom, and I called out just to check if anyone was home. Like, hello? No answer. It was just me. I stopped in the kitchen and got a bowl of Fruity Pebbles. I shut the cabinet door, and I'm just standing in the kitchen eating some cereal and i started to kind of remember oh yeah this house is haunted and i'm by myself i tried not to think too much about it because i was just tired from work you know honestly at first it was kind of nice to have the place to myself so i take the bowl upstairs and i just you know kind of sit down in my bedroom to eat and i was up there for about 20 or 30 minutes i started to feel pretty uneasy because Maybe subconsciously, it was kind of dawning on me that I had never really been in the house alone. About that time, I hear someone downstairs in the kitchen. I think I hear some silverware clinking, cabinet doors opening and shutting, and I even heard someone talking, I think, and I get excited because I thought, oh my God, you know, there's this relief. Finally, someone is home. I yelled out, hey, I'm upstairs, but I got no response. So I just decided to walk downstairs and say hello because I wanted to see a friendly face. As I turned the corner to the kitchen, I just froze. No one was there, but every cabinet door was open. Not only were they all open, it looked like they were at like perfect 90 degree angles, like they had been set a certain way. And I immediately started running through the house. I was looking for anyone else to be home because I thought, my my first thought was that someone was pranking me. I had just been in the kitchen, and I knew those doors were not open before. I'm checking everywhere. I circled the place. Nobody's there, and I find myself back in the kitchen just staring at all the open doors. And it just gets so cold. Like, I started shivering. I feel this freezing wave wash over me, and I think it was because the blood was draining from my body. I could not believe this had happened. You know, the whole thing just felt threatening, like a deliberate message. I was trying to kind of reconcile that in my mind, that, you know, after all the searching for a ghostly experience, here I was in the middle of one. And it had happened when I was not looking for it. I didn't feel at all like what I expected to feel. I imagined what it would have been like actually having that experience. And then when I'm having that experience, it just feels like I had pissed someone or something off. When I finally felt like I could move again, I ran and grabbed my keys. And I got in my truck and drove to the Walmart parking lot of all places. And I just sat there and I called around trying to figure out when someone was getting home. I did not want to be in there alone and I sat in that parking lot for probably an hour and a half. The rest of that night was kind of a blur. I remember finding when a friend was going to be there and I met them back at the house and the cabinet doors were still open and I told everybody about it but you know I'm not even sure if anyone truly believes me and honestly I'm not even sure I believe it myself because I have tried to come up with every explanation for why all those doors were open. like. Was it a prank? You know, was it some weird thing where the house settled and everything moved? I I just don't know. And still to this day, if it was a prank, it is amazing that no one has ever fessed up. I don't know how anyone would have hid because I frantically searched every corner of that house trying to find someone um, because I was in absolute disbelief. It was it felt like it had to be a person that did it. But all the noise, all the clanking, the the voice I heard, it all stopped pretty much right as I turned the corner. How would anyone have gotten out that fast? The lease was up just about a month or so later and we all ended up moving out and leaving the house behind. We were on high alert for that last month or so though and we even got out a Ouija board and we tried to communicate but we really just moved out of the house because everyone was going separate ways My girlfriend and I broke up, the band broke up, all of our friendships were kind of stressed from the constant chaos of the house and just being around each other too much. Just growing up. And I still think about that night all the time. When I was standing in that kitchen, it felt like something was angry at me. But now I kind of look back, if a ghost is indeed a person who has passed on, a soul left over on this plane of existence. That's gotta be such a lonely feeling. The quiet roommate who had to sit around and watch all these young, vibrant, alive people with their lives ahead of them just partying and living. In a weird way, it kinda makes me think of that quiet kid who just liked sitting alone and reading ghost books. There's no telling what other experiences we missed just because we had so much going on, so much noise. I'm sure if I was a spirit living in that house with us, at some point, I'd probably be upset having been there before everyone else, maybe just tired of not being seen or heard. And maybe that was the moment that the spirit got a chance to send a message. Hey, I exist. Because as humans, when we're alive, we have this inner urge to be seen and understood. So if we do become this detached energy, I don't see why we'd lose that urge in death. I feel like that a lot just living in a city you know you're surrounded by so many people yet you can easily feel so very alone. The house is still there. Last time I saw it it seemed like it was occupied and I haven't been ghost hunting in a very long time. I lost a little bit of interest because ultimately after all that searching and trying to figure it all out the experience just came to me when I least expected it and it feels like that's just how we should live. Not constantly searching. Just living in the moment that you have. Because one day you run out of moments to experience. And then maybe you become a quiet roommate.
0: It's getting late. And the campfire is dying down. A big thank you to Shelby and Nick for sharing their experiences with us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps get the word out about Campfire to other listeners who appreciate spooky stories. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash devilsdaughterpodcast. The stories for this show are curated by Brad Pike with editing and hosting by Lisa Burton and original music by Ben Kinsinger. If you're looking for something else to listen to, check out Experience the World, a podcast intricately describing worldly experiences from a first-person perspective from the demented mind of Brad Pike. Devil's Daughter has shows every Wednesday at 8 p.m. at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago. For tickets to that and other comedy shows, visit theannoyance.com. And for more information about Devil's Daughter, visit devilsdaughtercomedy.com.